Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. All right, let's get to it. If you have a Bible, open it to Daniel chapter 9 is where we find ourselves in our journey through this beautiful Old Testament book of Daniel. As we always say, if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to use one of the Bibles that you can find in the rack in front of you, in the chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible as our gift to you. If you're just upgrading now because yours is falling apart, come on now, buy your own. But if you don't have a Bible and maybe you've been invited by a friend and you are investigating the Christian faith, we'd love for you to take that gift, that Bible as our gift to you and for you to read it and to come back and maybe become part of this church, or if this church isn't for you, there are many other good gospel, Bible-believing churches in our city that we would love to connect you with if that would be a better fit for you. But we want you to, we want your heart and your mind to be exposed to God's holy, infallible, that means without error, unable to err, word. We want you to read it, and we believe that God, by His Holy Spirit, will meet you there in His Word. That's why we just work through books of the Bible here, and we find ourselves in the ninth chapter of Daniel, which is uh, one of the most difficult chapters in the whole Bible, at least the end of it. And we're going to work through this chapter, but today, I think we're just going to get through the prayer at the beginning of the chapter, and then at the end of Daniel chapter 9 is another vision that Daniel has that is quite complicated and has been argued over through the centuries. And I think we're going to handle that, um, well, not next week. Actually, Jennifer and I and the kids are going to California this week. My daughter's, um, oh, she's my niece. I don't know why I keep calling her my daughter's, my, my son. What am, <laughs> my brother, my brother's daughter also in English, called my niece, <laughs> um, is getting married. And so we're going to her wedding. So we'll hog... That was a struggle, babe. Thanks for, thanks for no help. So we are going... <laughs> we're going home to California next weekend, and Will Hawk will be preaching a standalone message. Then we're going to handle this really complicated vision at the end of Daniel chapter 9 next week. I'm sorry, the following week after that. Um, July 10th, and so I know I've thoroughly confused you guys. Hi, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here at Cross Point. <laughs> Today, we're just going to work through Daniel's prayer, which is the first 19 verses of Daniel 9. And there are things in this prayer that, that I, I hope will, will absolutely hit us like a gracious, merciful freight train of God. That he would call us to be a people that don't just give lip service to prayer, but that we would be humbled, crushed, built back up, encouraged, convicted, spurred on to be a church and a people that swells with confidence that we serve a God who not only created the universe out of nothing and can do whatever he wants, but who hears his people because of what his son Jesus did on the cross, as Reynolds read earlier from Hebrews 4, and answers our prayer for the glory of his name. What a privilege that we are just a tiny little church in 
West Central Georgia opening God's word in 2016 and we serve a mighty God, the same God that Daniel prayed to in Daniel chapter 9 and we have the great privilege because of the work in the Son and the ministry of the Holy Spirit to go to God and pray these types of prayers. What a privilege, friends. So as we work our way through Daniel chapter 9, my prayer is that God would shake us, that he would that he would stir us, and that he would produce in us a longing to be a people and a church that prays big prayers. So with that, I'm going to just work our way through it. We're going to unfold five truths in Daniel chapter 9 from prayer on prayer. And uh, I'm going to pray before we read, and we'll get started. And if you are just joining us... um, As we go along, I will give you context. I realize, just brace yourself that you may be a little bit confused as to what's going on in the story. That's okay. Don't fret. We will explain. We'll catch you up about the context of the passage that we're reading as we get into it. So let's let's pray. Lord, what a what a joy, what a privilege that we that we can gather together and and open up your word. Jeremy and Samantha are in a a city of three million people on the other side of the world with less than a thousand Christians. And here we are with great freedom to open your word, to extol and exalt in the glory of the gospel and all of the truth that flows from it. Lord, shake us. Rouse us this morning by your Holy Spirit and Awaken us afresh to the reality of your power and your work and your providence over all things. Lord, I pray for Christians in this room that we would be stirred, we'd be convicted, we'd be encouraged, and we'd be spurred on to be people of prayer. That we'd remember afresh the gospel that allows us to pray. And for my friends in this room, and surely there are some, that are not yet trusting in Jesus, I pray that by your sovereign grace, by your mercy alone, as we have sung, that you would give the very thing that you require, that you would give faith, that you would take a dead heart and that you would make it alive and you'd take blind eyes and you'd cause the scales to fly, fall from those eyes and you'd open those eyes so that that person came in this room not trusting in Jesus, that they, Lord, would see and savor the beauty of your Son and they too would be privilege to approach you, the God of all the universe, in communion and fellowship and prayer. Lord, do these things for the glory of your name and for the joy of your people and for the salvation of the lost. Lord, I pray that you do it. Help us now. Help me. I feel so inadequate to speak on this. Help us now, Lord, as we work through this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting 
and sackcloth and ashes. Okay, let's stop there and catch up to where we are. So remember, Daniel chapter 1 through 6 was basically a, a, a historical biography of Daniel's life. Daniel and three of his Hebrew friends were, along with many other people that are part of the nation of Israel, the Israelite people, were taken captive by the Babylonians. And this happened in about the the late 500s, 586 BC or so. The dates are a little disputed, but just for the sake of discussion, around 586 BC, God's people, the nation of Israel, who God had formed out of nothing. Remember early on in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 11 and 12, God chooses a man named Abraham and he says, through you, I am going to make a nation and I am going to set my affection and love on this people and I'm going to cause you to grow as a great nation. I'm going to give you blessing. I'm going to give you seed. I'm going to give you land. And God's intention in forming this nation of Israel was not because he was only concerned with just this one small group of people, but that so that through this nation of Israel that God formed by his grace, he would bless all the nations of the earth. And that's really one of the major storylines. In fact, I think it's the major storyline of the Old Testament is God forming and then his dealings with this people called Israel, the Jewish nation. And they have formed as a nation and they find themselves in captivity at the end of Genesis and God rescues them in Exodus from Egyptian captivity and they wander through the desert and finally they get into the promised land and while they're in this promised land, they are still, they still need to be sanctified. They're, they're saved by God. They're they're God's people, but they're still disobedient to God. It kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's kind of like us. And God warns them that if they continue to disobey him and his laws and his ways, that he is going to give them over to destruction. He's going to give them over to foreign captors. And that is exactly what happens. And that's where we started off with Daniel in Daniel chapter 1. God's people, the nation of Israel, has been taken captivity by Babylon and this pagan king Nebuchadnezzar. And they are under captivity. And we're going to find out here in just a moment that God says, I'm putting a limit on the time that my people will be in captivity. So let's just step back and just remind ourselves of the utter sovereignty of God in all things. In fact, remember in Daniel chapter 1 it said that God gave Israel over to the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. So it's not like God was up in heaven and oh my gosh my people are disobeying me what's going to happen? God is giving Israel over to Nebuchadnezzar. And now we are about 60-something years into that captivity. Daniel is now an old man. We've gone through a whole bunch of stuff with Daniel and his friends, and Daniel's had visions, and kings have come and kings have gone. And now Daniel, at the end of his life, probably in his mid-80s now, finds the book of Jeremiah, this Old Testament prophet Jeremiah that came before Daniel, who prophesied about the very things that God's people are experiencing now. So look again in verse 2. Daniel now, with his people in exile, in captivity, for probably about 60-something years at this point, reads Jeremiah's prophecy from a generation before, 
And it says, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. And so Daniel reads that, oh, we're coming up on an end of this time that we as God's people will be in exile. So Daniel is seeing prophecy being fulfilled in his midst. But notice what Daniel's reaction is to the prophecy. So let's just take in what Daniel read. Daniel has read that, and he's experienced it, by the way, in his life, that this foreign king will come and take God's people captive. That's what happens. And now that has been Daniel's experience for about the past 60 years or so, and now he reads that that time is about ready to come to an end. And Daniel could have taken two routes. He could have said, well, God is in control. What he said was going to come to pass in our captivity came to pass, and he's going to free us from Babylonian captivity soon, so I might as well not pray, but that's exactly the opposite of what Daniel does. He reads that God has said that I am going to free my people from Babylonian captivity, and so he prays for the very thing that he knows God has promised. Put that in your theological argument pipe and smoke it. God, Daniel, reads Jeremiah, and he does not say, well, God has said what he's going to do, so there's no use praying. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, if God is sovereign, why should I pray? Rather, he says, because God is sovereign, therefore I will pray. You see that? And that's the first truth that I want us to see just in these first three verses, is that we pray because God is sovereign. We pray because, you can put that first truth up there, we pray as God's people, not wondering if God is sovereign, but we pray because God is sovereign. Let's listen to just a few examples from the New Testament. Listen to the ministry of the Apostle Paul and how he thought about these two truths, about God's certain superintendence of the future and the certainty of his ministry, but yet his need and necessity to still pray and preach and have faith for God to bring to pass the very things that he's promised to bring to pass. Listen to what Paul says to a young pastor, 2 Timothy in chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Listen to what he says in verse 10. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, those whom God in eternity past has set his affection on, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Notice how the biblical characters view God's sovereignty. It does not push them into inactivity. It fuels their faith. Do you see that? Daniel read that God was going to free his people. And so instead of sitting on his hands and waiting for God to do it, it set him about prayer and repentance. Paul knows that God has a people, but it doesn't cause him to be inactive. He goes about enduring everything for the sake of those whom God will call to himself for his glory. 
We pray because God is sovereign. How, how does this um, apply to us? Just, just two quick applications before we keep reading and work through Daniel's prayer. One is that I, I am very grateful that we as a church believe or at least I do, I think majority of you do, this certainly isn't an, a requirement for salvation or membership in this church, but I'm grateful that I think a majority of us believe in the exhaustive and utter sovereignty of God. I was tempted to read a Spurgeon quote right now about how there's not, and, but I think I wear you guys out sometimes, I think you think that the only person I read is Spurgeon. Um, he, well, just about, but there's a quote about Spurgeon, how, it's this beautiful quote about how there's not two particles in the uttermost reaches of the universe that don't collide apart from God's all-knowing wisdom and power. Matthew chapter 10, not a sparrow falls to the ground, Jesus says, apart from the will of our Father. There's not a hair on our head. Psalm 139, where can we go from your spirit? You know, Lord, the words on my tongue before I speak them. Isaiah 44 and Isaiah 46, he declares the end from the beginning. Right? I, I, I love the fact that we are a church, especially in these dark days, especially in these uncertain times, that we are a church that stands on the albeit mysterious but exhaustive sovereignty of God. But may our doctrine drive our prayer, not dampen it. Do you hear that? May our doctrine, may our confidence in the sure and certain work of God drive us to pray like it did Paul and Daniel and not dampen our prayer. The person who believes that God is sovereign but does not cause that to fuel their faith that God would also use us as a means to bring about his will does not understand the biblical doctrine of God's sovereignty. So let, 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 let our doctrine drive our prayer, not dampen it. A, a good book recommendation on that uh, would be J.I. Packer, an old British theologian in his mid-90s now. Um, he wrote a book called, and don't get excited, I don't have it with me. I know you guys, oh, he's giving away a book, and you, you guys, somebody's already raising their hand. <laughs> I, uh, I was going to say something silly. So anyway... Uh, I don't have the book, but I would encourage you to find it either in our resource room or on Amazon, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. It is a wonderful short book that helps put those two truths about how God is utterly sovereign, but his sovereignty does not exclude the means of our obedience and prayer and preaching and faith, but actually it includes it. It's the way God does not separate the end from the means. That would be a wonderful book for you to read if you're wrestling with that. But, but secondly, just an application about the sovereignty of God in the life of us as Christians and as a church. I, I think this need, means, one application is, I think, we should, I think we need to pray more together as a church. I, I, think, I think when we gather, prayer should be more of a priority, and we're, we're, we're working to try and do that. I hope you realize that when we pray at the beginning of the service during our call to worship, that we're intentionally trying to give adoration to God. When we read Scripture after worship and we pray, we're intentionally trying to confess our corporate need to God and our sins. And, and when I pray before or I preach and when we pray before the offering, we are going to God, giving thanks to Him, asking for His grace. And when we 
pray at the end of the service. We, we, are, we are just confessing that God, only you can do and apply the things that we have sung about and prayed about and preached about and read about. Only you can do it. I want us to pray even more during the service. And I, and I wish that part of what would develop in the life of Crosspoint is that we would even pray more even during and after the service that, that you know, when we, when we work through the word of God and then the worship team comes back together to, to lead us in songs of response, that, that that would be a time that we together as a congregation would, would, would pray, that we would actually, maybe in our seats, we would turn and get on our knees and pray, or maybe families would go to a corner of the sanctuary and, and pray, but that we would be people that don't just Use prayer as a kind of movement to the next part of the service. I was, I was in Uganda a couple weeks ago, and I was with Grant Scarborough, who is a dear brother, member of this church, and we were talking about some things that we like and don't like about just church culture, and he said something that really convicted me. He said, you know, one thing that I don't like about when we gather, and he wasn't speaking specifically about Crosspoint. I think he was talking about church in general, but it, it kind of convicted me because I think we do this sometimes. He says is that when we pray... We often use prayer as a kind of transition after the service, you know, after the, the sermon to the worship team coming up. He says, it just seems kind of like not very reverent. That when, like, think about what we're doing when we pray. It's not a time filler to get to the next thing. And it's also not meant to be some smooth, eloquent thing so that we can impress people. We, as mere dust that God has formed from the earth, who have rebelled against him, who he, by his grace, has decided, not because of anything good in us, but solely because of his grace, to give us life in Christ and made us alive and given us a mind and a heart and given us breath. He allows us to speak to him. What? What? No, no, give it to me or don't give it to me at all. No, no, thank you, sister. I see that. You're with me. Let's hope the rest of them get there before the end of the service. The creator God of the universe opens up the windows of heaven and allows us to pray and we use it as a bridge to get to the last song to go to lunch. Help us, God. Help us. So we're, we're going to have a staff meeting right now. Paul, when I pray at the end, let's just stay seated. Let's just have everybody stay seated. And I'm going to pray. And then let's do something that is just impossible for Americans. Let's let 15 seconds be awkward while the worship team walks up to the stage. I know it'll be hard. <laughs> I know it'll be so hard. Let's just, let's just pray and let's go to God. And let's, let's maybe have some people just get up out of their seats and go to a corner with their spouse or with their child or pray for a child. And let's, let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. All right, let's keep going. Daniel prays now, starting in verse 4, and he prays a model prayer of repentance of adoration, of confession, and petition to God. Listen to this prayer. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, 
who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned. You're going to hear the word we over 12 times, I think, in this prayer. And Daniel, even though he was a righteous man, knows that he too is guilty and he is joining himself in. He is identifying with his, with his rebellious people. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all of Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, verse 8, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Not the Democrats, not the Republicans, not the Baptists, not the Pentecostals, not the Methodists, not the Presbyterian USA, not these denominations that are giving away the Bible and a biblical view of marriage. We have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his ways, which he set before us by his servants and the servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice, and the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. In other words, God is not only faithful to save, God is faithful to do exactly what he says he will do if we rebel against him. And God has been faithful in pouring out judgment on us, is Daniel's prayer. Verse 12, he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us, listen to this, you need to have a category for this, of God's utter sovereignty. God is the one doing the acting here by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. And who is the ultimate doer of what's being done? It's not Babylon. It is God. As it is written in the law of of Moses, Babylon is a mere tool in God's sovereign toolkit to bring about his ultimate good for his people. Friends, have that biblical category. Verse 13, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. This leads us to... The second truth that I want us to see is that Daniel repents corporately because he realizes that we are all guilty and we too should repent corporately because we realize that we are all guilty. Psalm 130 verse 3 says, If you, O Lord, should mark our iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? That's all of us. That's all of us. It is our tendency 
to amplify our spiritual strengths and minimize our weaknesses and minimize other people's strengths and maximize their weaknesses. Isn't that what we do, right? And so we look at other people, maybe in the body of Christ or other segments of our society, and we look down our noses at scorn with them because they are the problem. They are the reason that our culture is the way it is. And the reason that we decided to work through Daniel is because in many ways we are a people in exile. We have rebelled against God, and we find ourselves in a place that most of us in our lifetime have never been accustomed to. We haven't, we haven't been used to being in this type of exile. And our tendency as a church and as conservative Christians is to look down the end of our nose and say, well, this person, that person, that group of people, that demographic or whatever, that's why we are the way we are. But Daniel goes the opposite direction, and he says, it is us. We tend to amplify our spiritual strengths, minimize our weaknesses, amplify other groups' spiritual weaknesses, and minimize their strengths, right? I've been doing, I'm, I'm uh, in my mid-40s now, and I used to work out with Paul Fincher, you know, at the gym, and all we would do is just kind of go and do like bench press and like feel good about ourselves and I don't know, walk off, you know? Well, I'm an old man now, or I'm approaching old manness. And when I lift weights like that, it makes my joints hurt. And so I'm doing these little videos where I watch it on my computer with this guy and a couple people behind him, all these like body weight things that make me feel kind of feminine. That's why I do it in my garage so nobody can watch. But it's amazing how exposed and weak you are when somebody's leading you to exercise a muscle that you don't normally exercise, right? I mean, I make sure nobody's around. I don't even want Jennifer peeping through the window because I'm looking silly. And, and, and we need to feel that spiritually. I think many conservative American Christians, all they do is bench press. And they feel good about themselves. But you ask them to do some little crunch or some other little thing, they couldn't do squat. And so we can gather and we can sing songs and we can have good doctrine, but our weak spot is prayer, right? We don't, we don't even, we don't pray. And we need to repent of that and we need to realize that we are where we are, partly because we are part of it. We are part of it. And Daniel repents corporately because we are all guilty and we need to feel that humility and then let God work with us in our need. Verse 15, let's keep going. And now, he turns attention from repentance to request. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, he is reminding God of his glorious might. You who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day. We have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, and your people have become a byword among all 
who are around us. Which leads me to the third truth is that Daniel in his audacity has the nerve to pray a big prayer because God is big. And that is our third truth there. We should pray big prayers because God is big. He can get his people out of Babylonian captivity because he's done it before. And Daniel is reminding God in his prayer, really reminding himself, building his own faith, that God, you have made a name for yourself by what you've done through your people. Do what you do, God, and save us again. We should pray big prayers because God is big. So what, what application is this to us? Yeah, yes, when we gather, let's pray for, you know, sicknesses in, in, in our body. Let's pray for our aunt who, who, who's having surgery, right? Let's, let's pray for those regular rhythms of life and all of those things. But let's not, let's not stay there, friends. Let's not make our prayers as a church and when we gather in small groups and when we gather to pray together, let's not make them Let's not make them just merely village prayers and make our God a mere village God, right? Let's pray big prayers to a God who can do whatever. Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases, right? So let's, let's pray big prayers for God to do great things and, and let's reorient our prayers away from praying for our comfort. But let's pray for God to do miraculous things through world evangelization, evangelization, evangelization and the spread of the gospel. Let's pray for young people and old people in this congregation to give their lives away for the sake of missions in some foreign land. Right, let's do it. Let's pray for God to be glorified in our city. Let's pray for God to be glorified in our nation. Let's pray for God to save people that we work with who seem utterly unsavable. Let's do that. But how often do we reduce our prayer lists to our aunt's dog that's sick? And when we do that, we take our tiny little village prayers and we make God a mere village God. God, you who brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, act again. Verse 17. Now therefore, O our God, Listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. Listen to this. This is a powerful sentence. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your Great mercy. In other words, God, we, he's just spent the last chapter confessing how wicked and rebellious they are. And so he's not coming to God saying that the basis for my plea is anything good in us, but simply because of your mercy, for your name's sake. Verse 19, O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive 
Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. You would expect him to say, for our sake. But he doesn't. He says, for your sake, for your reputation, God. Oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Which leads us to truth number four on prayer from Daniel 9. Is that we should pray with God's glory as our motivation. The psalmist says this in Psalm 115, verse 1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. But let's just confess something. Right now, if you're feeling a bit distant from that truth, well, welcome, welcome to the merry band of, of people who don't pray biblically, and I'm the captain of that ship. Because even as I'm reading through this chapter and seeing that motivation, and even as I'm typing this out to be put on a screen for you to read and absorb, I am realizing how foreign that concept is even to my soul, right? We, we don't pray so often for God's glory as our motivation. We pray for our own sake. We pray that God would move for us. And certainly God is gracious and he moves for our sake. But the heart of Daniel's prayer is the fame and the glory of God amongst the nations. And I, I, I think we just need to pray that way until we, we pray that way. We just need to make that a, a, a piece of our vernacular in the way we pray until it becomes a reality in our hearts. Daniel prayed, Lord, for your own sake, do this. And then fifthly and finally, we should pray with confidence in the gospel of grace. So what do I mean by that? In verse 19, Daniel prays for the Lord to forgive, for him to pay attention for him to act. Is Daniel's prayer answered? What hope can we have that God will do this? Well, we're going to creep into uh, the text that we'll read in a couple weeks and see that God does promise Daniel that he will answer. So in verse 20, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, he's the angel, remember that we read about in Daniel 8, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. So Daniel, you pleaded, and God responded with a word. And I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Verse 24, and we'll end on this. And we'll get into unpacking what all of this has to do with implications of Jesus' return. But I just want you to see what... God promises Daniel in a grand sense as an answer to his prayer for forgiveness and mercy. Seventy weeks are decreed. Don't worry about what that means just yet. We'll get into that in a couple weeks. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city 
to, listen to this, finish the transgression. In other words, bring an end to your rebellion. To put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal both vision and profit and to anoint, to anoint a most holy place. We'll get into it in a couple weeks. But what the angel Gabriel is saying to Daniel is he is speaking about Jesus' coming. And there is coming one who will put an end to sin and atone for iniquity and bring everlasting righteousness. That's what the angel Gabriel says to Daniel as an answer to his prayer that is coming. And when we have the benefit of reading all of this retroactively, we can pray loaded up with confidence in the gospel of grace that when we cry out to God that he has answered us and he has heard our prayer and he has heard it by responding with his son on the cross who bore the punishment for our sin, satisfied it, removed it, rose victoriously over it, defeated it, and now is alive. And because he is alive, he is the victor over everything outside of us that vexes us and everything inside of us that still needs to die. Do do you see the perspective that we have of this prayer? Daniel is looking forward to the answer that will come in generations We now in our time look back to the answer and can stand firm on the fact that God has answered the most important of prayers. God forgive us and he's done it through his son's work on the cross. And now as God's people, as we live in uncertain times with a tumultuous culture, with a presidential election that is surely causing all of us to be concerned with uncertain markets and wars raging and all of this going on outside. And then we're still dealing with all of this going on inside our hearts. Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9 comes along and informs us that we should pray because God is sovereign. And we should pray together because we are all guilty. And we should pray big prayers because our God is big. And we should pray, God, you be glorified, not me. And we should pray with rock-solid confidence that God has heard the prayers of His people and He makes all things right Most notably, he makes our souls right with him by bearing the wrath that should have been ours on the cross, removing it, rising again in victory through the work of his son and calling all people everywhere to repent and trust in Jesus. Friends, much more important than who becomes president of the United States or what happens in Europe after England pulls out of the European Union or what happens in some remote village in Afghanistan is what happens in your heart between you and a holy God. And God has made way for that prayer to be answered 
if you will humble yourself and cry out to him who has put an end to sin in here and out there and will come again and set all things right. These truths should make us a radical, big prayer, faith-filled, heaven-storming people. May it be so in the life of Crosspoint and in my heart. Let's pray now and ask God to answer big prayers. Before I pray, who who right now is facing a situation that seems foregone too far? Who has a loved one, a teenager, a young adult that has rejected God's grace? Who has a marriage that seems irreparable? Who has a fear of the future that seems so tumultuous because of the sins of our nation? Who among us has a battle with sin that we just cannot kick on our own? It keeps coming back and rearing its ugly head. Who among us is afraid and defeated and vexed and almost out of faith? The prayer of Daniel 9 is for you, dear one. God is sovereign and He is big. And he does wonderful things for his people. For the glory of his name. Through the work of his son. And through his promise of his certain return. We now have the privilege to, as Reynolds read before, boldly come to his throne of grace and pray. Father, we repent of our prayerlessness we repent that we even take the the phrase church service as if it's meant to serve us rather than you we're here to offer service to you not expecting a few people to serve us in our needs. We repent of our self-absorption. We repent of our impatience towards one another. We repent of gossiping, speaking ill of one another. We repent of snide comments, careless words, ill-informed things that we post on Facebook, We repent of the images that we allow to fill our TV sets and our computer screens. We repent that we love 
doctrinal stances more than the God of the doctrine. We repent that we are so prayerless in the face of such evil. Lord, help us. Because you're sovereign and because you have declared the end from the beginning, Lord, breathe afresh on us. I pray for a young couple in this church to be called into giving their lives away to the work of the gospel on the other side of the world. I pray for a husband in this room right now who's wrecking his life and his marriage for him to turn back. Lord, what a small thing it is for you to turn a lustful heart. Lord, I pray for the churches in our city that the gospel would be proclaimed in power and truth and that in a city full of churches that often don't see much fruit, that you would cause a revival of souls, a harvest of souls in our city. Fill the pulpits of Columbus with young men and old men who are fearless and brave and saturated with the truths of the gospel. Lord, we pray for our presidential election and we repent of how we put our hope in princes. We want to be good citizens and we want righteousness in our nation to reign. We pray, Lord, for you. We know that you are sovereign in all things and we pray for your will to be done. We pray that regardless of who is elected to the highest office and various offices, that even then, God, we would continue to pray because we know you are the king's heart, Proverbs 21 says, is like a water course in the hands of the Lord. You turn it wherever you will. We repent of our lack of faith. Lord, we pray for that wayward son or daughter, that parent that doesn't, doesn't know Jesus, Lord, save him. Not, not, not because you owe us anything, but because of your mercy, save them. Lord, humble us, break us, blow through this place like a mighty rushing wind. And do great and wonderful things for the glory of your name in spite of us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.